It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another edition of the Skinny Podcast, the potpourri edition where we bounce all kinds of topics around. I'm Richard Skinner from Local12 and Local12.com, along with Rick Broering. It is presented, as always, by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. And Skinny, we're starting at Paul Brown Stadium, oh, as yay, we've been yay. doing most weeks recently. The Bengals were embarrassed in Sunday's 35-20 home loss to Cleveland. And you know, I don't think that's the first time I've started off a podcast that way this season. With the words embarrassed and lost? Yeah. Is this the lowest point of the Marvin Lewis era for the Bengals? It's got to be. I, I, I can go back, maybe the, the line of demarcation was the 2015 playoff loss, the way they, the way they lost that, the way the players ran off the field and acted like fools, um, the, the, the foolish penalties at the end of the game. But that wasn't the lowest point because it was a playoff game, and there was still, you, know, you still had a core of guys coming back. That was a really good team, so you thought, all right, sucks to lose. We didn't have our quarterback. You know, he'll be back next year. The gang will be back. We'll make another run at this, and you haven't. And the fact that it's a Cleveland organization that has been in such disarray for 20 years, a uh, Cleveland organization that has um, been a laughing stock, uh, a team that, that you've always been able to kick around for the most part, that you've owned in the last seven games. They won the last seven games against them by a score of 30 to 9, combined average score of 30 to 9. Had lost 25 games in a row, one more loss with a tied in NFL record. And it's not just you, if he'd have lost, you know, 21 20 on it, whatever. I mean, you knew it was going to be a close game because the Bengals are banged up. Um, Cleveland's better, all those things. I mean, for them to hang 28 on you before you scored, that, that's, that's a complete low point to me. And I, I, I put it on Twitter, and I stand by it. That's the, based in, it's not just based on that game. It's based on the fact that you, you brought him back after the playoff loss, and people questioned that because of the way the loss took place. Then you chose, after a two-year sub-500 run, to bring him back again, to take one more swing at it. You took one more swing at it. Things are spiraling out of control. Injuries are apart. I'm not. I, I don't want to discount that, but it's also not an excuse to get housed like that. That's the lowest point of all, and it signifies it, you. You can't bring him back. I don't care unless Jeff Driscoll gets this team five and zero. Whatever you cannot bring, you cannot do it. It is the lowest of the low. Well, if you remember after that playoff loss, the 2015, where like you mentioned, I mean, definitely a low point for fans. Definitely a low yes. point for fans. But like you mentioned, there was hope coming back. But also in the locker room. You had guys defending Marvin Lewis, saying we let him down. Yes. Saying that was on us. Guys, it, it seemed like a galvanized group in some ways. Like, yeah, we screwed this one up, and yeah, we got overconfident, but we've got a lot of swagger to us. We're coming back. We're going to kick the Steelers' ass. We're, we're here. Yes. The players have quit on this team. The players are done. I don't know if it's done with Marvin. I don't know if it's done with the Brown family. I don't know if it's done wearing orange and black in that the city of Cincinnati. Half, that I don't know if they don't like, like the it. weather, but they have quit. They yeah. are done. There is zero hope left. There is zero reason to think anything will improve next year. The only thing, and I think we'll probably get to this topic because I haven't looked at all the things. You always put the rundown together, and I just kind of go as I go because I like to be surprised sometimes. You surprise me some of your goofiness, which I like. Um, I think the only thing that can galvanize you is is the freshness of a, of a, of a new quarterback. That's the only thing that can be a, a little bit galvanizing to some degree. And maybe the return of A.J. Green to feel like, all right, at least we got, we got some newness. We got our guy back. Maybe that's it. But that first half defensively, Sure felt like it. And when I hear after the game, and it, and it was a common theme, that the theme of just do your job. And I think Paul Dockery, the inquiry, asked Vinny Ray, what does that mean? And Vinny went into a pretty good detailed explanation of what it meant. But at the same time, I thought, you know, this just sounds hollow to me. That if, you know, I do my job, this guy does it. Well, it can't be that way all the time. Somebody has to be a playmate. Somebody has to do something. You have to scheme your way through it. You have to do something. And it feels like none of that's taking place. You kick Terrell Austin to the curb. Okay, that's fine. What, what's changed defensively? I mean, he was dealing with the same deck. He didn't have Nick Vigil. He didn't have a healthy Preston Brown. He didn't have a healthy Vontez Perfect. He was dealing with injuries in the secondary. What, what's changed? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. We talked about last week. What grade would you give Marvin Lewis as a defensive coordinator? And, and we're trying to say, oh, it's first game. They did something. There were... No, it's a disaster. It's a complete unmitigated yeah. disaster on well, defense. And he, he hasn't was, gotten any better. And he was so cocky and confident in the first press conference where he talked about being the defensive coordinator. Of course, his famous quote at the end was, I got this. Well, you ain't got nothing. You ain't got nothing. Yeah, just do your job. Yeah. How about Marvin just does Absolutely. his job? How about the coaching Absolutely. staff just does their job? Yeah, I had somebody that tweeted this at me um, this week off of Marvin's press conference. I put a quote out there, and, and I always do it just to it's, – it's, I usually do it. I don't think people realize I do it with a tongue-in-cheek to make people get kind of riled up because it's usually a, just a goofy quote from him. Um, 
and it was it was about you know trying to trying to dig out of the hole. Although I did have somebody that tells me if you keep digging a hole, it's it, it's going to get deeper. So you really can't dig out of the hole. You can only dig the hole deeper. You actually can turn it into a tunnel. Yes, yes, yes. You eventually could turn and it into a tunnel. And get it out on another side. Yes, you could. I think that's what Bengals fans would like to have happen in some way. Get dig. Hey, everybody, dig the tunnel. Get out the other side. Just get out of town. Um, but no, when, when they were when they were talking about about Marvin and, and he and he said um, they need to get themselves out of this, and he said. Why doesn't he use the term "we"? Aren't aren't isn't he part of this? Great point. And I thought that was a great point. I agree. That's a great point. It's all of them. And Marvin at one point did say, "Look, it's on all of us in this building." But when you get the "they" as a, or as opposed to to "we," that sounds like it's a lot of finger pointing at the players. To and, me. It, and it's always felt that way a little yeah. bit with him and and this team. It's never him. That's the thing. It's never him. It's a coordinator. I mean, look, in the last two years, they've done some very un-Bengal-like things. Fire an offensive coordinator two games into a season. Rightfully so, but fire an offensive coordinator. Um, that's been okay. It's, it hasn't worked out great, and some of it, again, is injury-related. This season, at 5-4, five and at five and four, still very much in the playoff hunt, firing a defensive coordinator. I'm not telling you it's not justified. I don't know whether it was or not. I don't know if he was doing his job or not. I really don't. But at what point does the buck stop with him? 16 years, when does the buck stop with him? And if it doesn't stop now, the Brown family is going to be embarrassed how little they have fans come to games next year. This Denver game on Sunday, and and certainly if things go awry over the next couple of weeks and they come back and play the awful Oakland Raiders on the 16th, you will have some of the least attended games you will ever see in Bengals history. And the last time that happened in 2002, I was there. I covered it. Bengals played the Saints. Jim Haslett, who's now on the staff, was the Saints head coach. Bengals actually won that day, but there was nobody. I mean, nobody there. And so after that season, they decided, okay, we have to go so far different than what we do. They hired somebody they weren't overly familiar with in Marvin Lewis. It look, the high, If you look at the macro... He did. He has done really good things here, but eventually you have to do more than just have a handful of playoff appearances. Have more success than what you had prior, which in the '90s was a disaster. You've got to start making real progress, and you're not. And I said this to a couple guys Monday in the locker room as I kind of looked around, and you could feel the tone of the players and just the tone of the whole organization. And I said, '90s are coming again, man. The '90s are coming again, and boy, that doesn't feel good." The first handful of years, I think maybe you can say he did some great things because he did take a franchise that was a total embarrassment and restore them to... Within three years. Yeah. Within three years. Got into the playoffs. Right. Within the first five or six years, I think you can say that that was pretty great. That was a pretty great job. He he restored them to being a a competitive team, a team that you talked about as a legitimate threat when you said, oh, this team's on our schedule next week. You actually had to give some analysis when talking about the game instead of saying, it's the Bengals. They're going to run right over them. But since then, Skinny... You can't just say a guy did great things because he made you competitive. He kept you competitive. Well, the only thing I would tell you, Rick, and I, don't, I know what you're saying. The, the, the one year before they went on that five-year playoff run was a disaster, and they decided to take one more swing with him at that point. Okay, and you got to look. Five playoff appearances in a row is hard to sneeze at. That's, that's an accomplishment. It is, but, but it's now, not. But now it's, it's – he turned that, that around in one year back to the playoffs. We're now in three, a three-year slide that feels like it's sliding further, and that's enough. Yeah, but even getting to the playoffs five years in a row, that's a normal... It's not a its not a consistent thing. Not everyone does that. It's hard. But, but if you haven't won a playoff game... Yes. ...in a decades... That's not a that's a normal thing. Like that's not that's considered being competitive. That's not considered great. That's not considered being a winner. That's not considered someone who's done a great coaching job. That's what you're supposed but, to do. Right. The only thing I would tell you though, if, if you do that five years, it's hard to jump off at that stage. It's hard to, to, to cut sure five years to that Sure thing. it is, but, but, but now, I'm not gonna say the but, guy's done great things but, because of that. But now here we are three years into what's gonna be a sub five hundred finish again for three years. That, that's enough. I mean you've hit you've hit the line. There's no there's no sugarcoating this of look. It's one year blip. We can turn this around. We got no, you can't. You've got a lot of holes to fill. It's time to just start fresh with somebody else. A young, innovative offensive mind. That's what the league is today. And I'm telling you, it's gonna be Hugh Jackson. And and the only thing I can hope that it isn't if there's enough backlash, if if they see how the fans feel about Marvin and get a vibe and they don't do a very good job of getting the vibe, that that Hugh will not be something the fan base will take. Um they 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 are they are going to be sadly mistaken. They need to get they wipe the whole slate clean and let's reboot this and start from scratch with somebody else. You know, you said it's never been Martin Marvin's fault. I think that might be the most egregious thing the Brown family has done this whole time is they've been too nice to him. Yes, both times that it's been kind of on that 
it's been on the brink a little bit where it's like maybe it's time to get rid of Marvin and they've decided to bring him back. Both times, what was the reason for bringing him back? Well, we've given him more control now. He yes. needed more control. Yes. It wasn't him. It was, we were screwing things up. They let him say that. Yes. They didn't say that, but they let him yeah. say that for when he came back. Well, now here we are. He's had more control multiple times. He's stolen that control away. It still hasn't gotten them anywhere. I know this, man. The man has made about $60 million in 16 years to get you zero playoff wins. I have that many. You have that many. Phil, who's listening right now, and Jack, who's listening right now, you guys got that many. I don't think we got 60 mil for our effort. We both said last week he should be fired. Do you think he should have been fired after the loss already, or would you give him the rest of the season? No, he should have been fired already. 100%. Andy Dalton now has ligament damage in his throwing thumb and is out for the season, Skinny. Uh, Backup Jeff Driscoll has moved into the starting role, and Tom Savage yeah, buddy. has been pulled off the scrap heap uh, to become the new backup. Where do the Bengals go from here with Andy Dalton? Like, I mean, he's coming back, I guess, but is there any thought great. now at this point that you start thinking, it's is a, this our guy? It's a great question. And I think that the bigger question with that probably is, where are the Bengals at? Like, are they in rebuild mode now? Or do you think you're going to bring back this same group and this coach and be something new next year? Because that's clearly not going to be the case. Yeah, I... That's a great question. Um, they can get out from under Andy's contract and, and not have it be a huge cap hit. They could also trade Andy. Um, Is there trade value for Andy? Oh, yeah. I, I think there's... Uh, the Jags, maybe? Jags would love it. If, if Alex Smith can't come back and play, and, and even though they're saddled with that contract, somebody has to play quarterback. Jay Gruden and Andy Dalton have a relationship. I could see them trading for him. What's Andy it? Dalton has Andy Dalton has value in this league. What's the team giving up for him? Uh, that's a, a great question. Fourth round pick, or you think? It's no, I think that? third. I think you could get a third. Third. Okay, fifth. but it's but it's it's certainly not a first round pick no, and something that's going to be correct. a game changer. It's it's a mid level draft yes. pick, probably. I think some of this depends on this. Right, if Jeff Driscoll proves to be competent enough over the last five, and you're going to get a nice sample size, you're going to get a five game sample size against some teams that he should do well against and some teams that he's going to have to play really well to show that he can play well against. So you get a nice sample size here of what you get from Jeff Driscoll. If Jeff Driscoll proves competent and you've decided to hit the reset button, I think you could deal Andy Dalton. I think you could make Jeff Driscoll your bridge quarterback. And this is not a, the only problem. This is not a very good quarterback draft at all. I mean, at all. Um, maybe you 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 find a way to to get that that next quarterback and groom him with Driscoll as the bridge guy, or even if you decide let's just say you you do bring Andy back for one more year, maybe that's the same thought process as Andy is the bridge guy, or you know it, because this is not a great quarterback draft class. You bring Andy back. You maybe bring him back for another year um, if you can, although I don't think he's going to sign a one-year deal. But maybe you, you find another bridge guy the year after and maybe in 2020. So that's where we're at in the rebuilding process. That tells me that you are there in the rebuilding process when you start thinking in terms of, of that. And that's okay. But you can't sit here and, and keep piecemealing this and say, well, Andy's still our franchise guy. And we just need to put some pieces around him and we're going to bring another coach in. I don't know if that's the right way to go with it. And I'm a big Andy. I think Andy, I think Andy takes a lot of crap in this town that he does not deserve. He has done some really good things. And it's it, as you look around this league, how long has it taken the Cleveland Browns to find a quarterback? How long has the Buffalo Bills, they're still searching for a quarterback. 49ers keep searching for a quarterback. And, yeah, they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo, but he got hurt. So, they're, you know, they're, they're back at school. You get back to square one really quickly in this league if you don't have a quarterback. And it takes a long time to find that guy. That's why I think fans, you shouldn't discount what Andy's done. But you've reached the stage of let's see what Jeff Driscoll's got for the next five games. If he proves that he can play, then maybe you get some value for Andy Dalton and and, and Jeff's the bridge guy. Or hell, who knows? I mean, I, I, I said this the other day on another podcast and got laughed at. Who knew what Tom Brady was? I don't think Jeff Driscoll, I'm not going to tell you Jeff Driscoll's Tom Brady, but no way anybody thought when Tom Brady first took a snap from center in a game that he was suddenly going to 15 years later be this I don't think Jeff Driscoll's going to be that either, but I don't know. I mean, let's see. we got a five-game sample size to find out. I like that point, and that would be my point more so towards looking at investing in the draft. Everyone keeps saying, oh, this isn't a good draft for quarterbacks. They say that all the time. They say, oh, this is a great draft for quarterbacks, right. and sometimes it's not. Yeah. And then they say, this is a terrible draft for quarterbacks. And then sometimes a third-round guy ends up being the next sure. stud. Um, I, I think you, you absolutely have to. The thing with Andy Dalton is, he, you're right. He gets an unfair rap in this town. He has done a lot of good things. He's a whole lot more competent at his job than Marvin Lewis has been. Yes. But they're both in kind of the same place, in my opinion, yes. which is they can do enough, and if you put them in the perfect situation, sure. they'll be successful, maybe even Super Bowl successful, for all I know with Andy Dalton. But, but you haven't. 
they're and they're clearly not the guy that's going to help you get to that next level based off their ability. Yeah, you got to no, put that, that's them fair. in the perfect situation to succeed. They're not going to make the situation perfect. Yeah, that's fair. And at this point, basically what that means is you are you are keeping guys because you're afraid you might do worse without them. You're keeping mediocre because you're afraid you could do worse because you've seen worse in the past. That's not a way to be successful. That's not a way to progress as a football franchise or as a business or any anyone. You got to get rid of Andy Dalton. You've got to move on from him, and and only because not because he's bad, not because you're go- definitely going to could find he be a bridge guy. Let's just say Jeff's a desire. Let's say Jeff Driscoll starts these four games and he is what we thought, which is a guy that they claimed off the waiver wire from San Francisco a couple years. I, I think he's better than that. I think Jeff's Jeff's going to be a more competent AJ McCarron. I really believe that. I think he I think he really has a chance to be a a, a nice quarterback. Now that doesn't tell you great. But let's just say he does, he's a disaster. You do have Andy for another year under contract. Could you just make him still the bridge guy? Meaning he comes back for one more year yes. while you groom something else to yes. think about what you're doing. Yes. I don't have a problem with that. The only thing I would say is, you ha- in my opinion, you have to rebuild. Like it, This thing is coming down. Yes. you got to get rid of Marvin. you got to find new blood. What do you do with A.J. Green? I think you trade. I, that, that's a, that's another question that we that we could have talked about. I think you've got to look to, to trade AJ Green. I mean, you don't have to. He's your franchise player, but that guy probably wants to play on a winner. I don't think you're moving in that direction at least quickly. Now in the NFL, it's, it's not baseball. You can take a franchise from Dude, worst to you can do it in three years. Exactly, you can do it in a three year span. I mean, you can go from zero. To 60 miles an hour in three years. And the LA Rams are sh- have shown that. And where the Bengals are at right now, while I do think they need to rebuild and redo this, there, thing, some pieces. there are pieces in yes. place. They don't, yes. It's not a complete, yes. they have nothing. Yeah, that's correct. So I, I think you have to look at the rebuild. I don't necessarily have a problem with Andy Dalton coming back to be a bridge quarterback, but I think more than that, you need new blood, you need new voices, you need new leaders. And the problem with keeping him there is it's the same voice, and I don't think he's a leader. I don't think he's a guy that kind of gets guys to buy into him. So if you're going to do the rebuild... I think you've got you got to strip it down from a leadership perspective and get guys to buy into your new leader. And that's that's where for the fan base, look, you you don't build teams with the fan base in mind, but you also have to build teams knowing how your fan base is going to react to that. I know that sounds really contradictory and weird and all that. Uh, I mean, you can't make decisions based on, but you also have to make decisions knowing that, look, we're not doing things the the way the fan base is going to respond. They're boring. I mean, part of that this is it's the sameness. It's the boringness of it. And when you've come to the – look, you can be same and boring, and if you're winning, more power to you, yeah, brother. If you're the Patriots, boring yes, is fine. that's great. More power to you. But you need something to re-energize your fan base. And, and I think they would even buy into a rebuild, even though you know the people doing the rebuilding haven't done great jobs of building over the years. We're going on 30 years of no playoff victory at the point that this probably comes out of it. But in this league, man – you can if you do it right, you can do it in three years. Look, the Browns were 0-16 two years ago, right? One in fifteen. Let's go off one fifty. Okay, they're going to push for five hundred. I think they probably end up like six nine and one when all said and done this year. You give them one more draft class and maybe one more free agent of some kind. Man, they're suddenly a playoff caliber team. In how long? From one in fifteen to let's say six nine and one to a playoff team? Three years. Three years. You can do it. But you got to commit to it, and you got to make great decisions, and that's the thing I would be fearful of. Last thing, you you did bring up AJ Green. I don't want to just gloss over that because I think it's a conversation worth having. What what would you do with AJ Green at this point? I, I need to keep a weapon, but I mean, I've got Tyler Boyd, I've got John Ross. Um, feels like wide receivers anymore. You can pluck a lot of them out of the draft. If I'm going to get high value for him, I mean, look, are you going to? Because AJ's contract's coming up. Are you going to re-sign AJ Green for big money in a rebuild? That's kind of the point here, right? Like, yeah. I mean, if you, you do have to move in a new direction. I don't know if the Bengals will do that, but if, if, I'm, if I'm the GM or if I'm president of operations, I am moving in a new direction with the team, with Marvin, with the quarterback. At that point, there's no way I'm going to be re-signing A.J. Green, so I think I do try to get rid of him while there's some value and I can get something back for yes. him. And I problem, think that, is, problem is it's probably only draft picks, but if you're doing right. a rebuild, that's what you do. Yes. This team isn't great with draft picks, but they've done enough recently Correct. that it's, it's, it's a weapon for them. Yes, I would agree with that. The Reds have talked a big game about this offseason. 
President of Operations Dick Williams recently said the club is looking to add a pair of new pitchers, just like you can pluck them off the street. Likely starters, they plan to be in front of these agents and other teams talking aggressively, he said. Most recently, the Reds have been linked to names like Noah Syndergaard from the Mets. That was over the last couple of days. Corey Kluber of the Indians, Sonny Gray of the Yankees. Rick, do you think it'd be wise for the Reds to trade for or sign a top-notch starting pitcher at this point of the rebuild, and are they capable of doing that? Well, are they capable... Yes, I think I think like when people see that name Noah Syndergaard, they're like, "Oh, come on, no chance the Reds are going to go out and get him." Probably right. It's, it'd be in a trade. They probably don't have the best stuff to trade for him. However, that's the thing, though. Here's the question, though: Is anything off the table in a trade when you're starting to, when you're trying to rebuild? Well, it, well, is anything off the table in a trade when you're talking Noah Syndergaard? That's my that's my question. One of the best few pitchers in the game when healthy. The and when healthy, the issue I have is that. sort of the same situation we're talking about with A.J. Green and the Bengals. If you're in a rebuild, which I don't think you're on the other side of yet, like you're not, I don't think they're ready to compete yet, do you? No. What what are you, to get a guy like Noah Syndergaard, you're having to give, I mean, you're probably talking Senzel at the very, like that's the guy that's supposedly sort of untouchable, but I don't think anyone's trading a guy of Noah Syndergaard's caliber without talking to the Reds about Senzel. Is anybody untouchable? That's my question. That's what I'm saying. Is there anybody untouchable? For Noah Syndergaard, no, but at the stage the Reds are at, Yes, I think there should be. I don't think they should be looking at a top-of-the-line starter at this point because, one, you either have to trade too much to get them, like Syndergaard, which I don't think there's any point to the Reds giving up the low-level prospects, which they have some good ones, or a guy like Senzel, who's one of the few ones who are maybe big league ready right. to contribute right away for a, for a contender, like like the Mets think they may be. Why, why would you want to do that right now? You'd be making that trade to compete right now, which you're not ready to do, and giving away the things that you, the whole rebuild was about, which was yes. stockpiling Correct. these talents and these prospects. Correct. So don't get rid of your trade bait now. Hope they grow into something that's going to be good for you. And then once you get a team that's ready to compete, if they're not what you need at that time, then you trade them off. See, then I, you try to get a top here, line here's pitcher. The thing. It, 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 especially when it comes to free agents. There's two things in play. You're not, you're not going to be able to pay for a top-of-the-line free agent. It's a waste of your money, A. B... Even if you even if you could and want to and were willing to, is that guy going to come here and pitch in this ballpark? Really? I mean, it's like the Colorado Rockies days back before they started freezing the baseballs. No real top-of-the-line free. Mike Hampton went there and was – I mean, there were guys that just went there and were disasters. I mean, do you really want to do that if you're a starting pitcher? Look, I know if somebody's going to pay you, but let's just say all things being equal. Team A's going to pay you – this and the Reds are going to pay you $200,000 more for that. Where, where do you want to go pitch? You want to pitch where you're going to be successful or where you're not going to be successful? Um, I think the Reds, when it comes to pitching, I wrote this last year and I'm going to stand by it. And they do have a pitching coach now that thinks this way. You got to go outside the box with the way you handle a pitching staff. You got to do it differently, man. You got to, you can't suddenly say, well, I got to have two, I got to have my number one and my number two. And the, no, think, think outside the box the way you handle the staff. The Tampa Bay Rays did a great job of that. And they were above 500 team with an offense that wasn't anywhere close to what the Reds offense is capable of being. And they're in a division that had the Red Sox and the Yankees to boot that they're playing all the time. Um, no, you have to think outside the box. I'm rereading Moneyball right now. And boy, you start rereading that again, and it is just eye-opening. Some of just the, the stuff that at the time sounded so wacky. And right now, you know what sounds wacky? The opener. The three-inning starter, the two-inning middle guy, not using closers in traditional ways, using other guys in highlight. It sounds so stupid. Well, you can't do that. Why can't you do that? Why can't you do that? I'd almost rather do that than try to do some of this. All this does is put put lipstick on a pig and make you go, hey, fans, look, we did something. Well, it looks like you did something, but did you really do something? And right now, they've done nothing at this point. And it's still early in the process, but we're getting into December, and here we go. Yeah, I think they they feel like they have to talk this way because fans want to hear it. The only thing is, what happens if you don't get the results in that? What happens if you can't land a soul? That's that's the thing, and and you're, you're talking this big game, but in reality, they have to know that's not the smart play for them. It's probably it's probably like a lower level because look, the talent they have, even if they get outside the box as you want them to do, and they start scheming this a little bit better in terms of how they're using guys, they don't have the talent in terms of arms. They have to get better arm talent. Some some I don't, way. See, I don't I, I don't I, I love that bullpen. I love the, the bull- bullpen. And, has I, three and I'm or telling four you, nice pieces. I'm just going to ask anybody and I am not going to go into the deep dive on this podcast, but go look at splits for the Sal Romanos of the, of the world. You know, some of the guys I had. Look at their first 50 pitches. Look at their first uh, their, their first 3 innings plus. 
pretty good guys who just all of a sudden, second and third time through, don't get the job done. All right, so that tells me I'm going to use 50 inning. I'm a 50 inning, 50 pitch guy. You're a 50 pitch guy, and maybe you've. Maybe you just have a, you know, there are nights, you know, there are nights where you're throwing the ball better than other nights, not just velocity-wise, but, you know, control-wise, command-wise. All right, maybe the 50 pitches, because you're pitching so well, I'll stretch you to 60. I'll give you one more. I'll give you a crack at one more inning here, Chief, and we'll, we'll extend you for one more. But I, I just, I think you got to think outside the box. I agree with some of that. There, I mean, there is a lack of arm talent to some degree. Yeah. But I also think it's the way you use that arm talent. These guys anymore are so groomed in the minor leagues to be, they're, they're baby to the point of 75, 80 pitches is a lot. Five innings is a lot. Okay, guess what? That's what they're used to. Use them that way. I don't have a problem with that, but I still think you watched that team enough last year. It was very evident that those guys just weren't going to eat. They've got one or two guys in the starting rotation and three guys maybe in the bullpen that are all definitely major league caliber good pitchers. After that, I think they definitely need to revamp. I just don't arms. know if it's going to be easy to do. But, well, I agree with you, and I don't think they should be going out shooting their load now in free agency correct. or or in trade with giving away their prospects because they're just not to the point of competing this year or probably next. Find me another Anthony DeSclafani type when healthy. 100%. Find me that guy. That's what you're trying to find. Or he's not a pitcher, but Scooter Jeanette is another yes. great example of a guy you found. I'm that telling you, he was under, and if you, I told, when he, they traded for him, I wrote about it, it, he was undervalued. If you really look at some of his numbers and metrics at his age, pretty good little hitter. Um, not not great defensively. That's that, He's not awful. I think everybody, he's not as awful as people think he is, but he's a pretty good hitter, middle infielder with pop, and then suddenly you take him and put him in a real hitter's ballpark. Well, the doubles he was hitting in Milwaukee, guess what they started doing? They started flying out of the yard a little bit, and you know suddenly you've got yourself a nice little guy. That, that's you got to unearth that value, and that's where you need to really work hard at analytics. And, and I, you know, I, again, you go back to the Oakland A's, man. Some of the stuff when you're reading it today, it's almost laughable because they were so far ahead of the curve. Um, and that's where, when it comes to pitching, maybe you can be ahead of that curve. I love the fact, like I said, I love what Tampa did. Tampa just decided. We can't sign. We can't. We have to do something different. We can't be like the Yankees and Red Sox and Cubs and 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 those teams. We can't afford to do that. So let's do something different. And voila, it worked. It was great. It's a lot easier said than done, but I think that's the route you got to go. You got to find the more Scooter Jeanette type guys yes. right now. Try as many of those types of guys think, that you can find that are still young, still have some upside, but aren't going to cost you a lot to get them. Work them out if you if you strike. Look. Bridge me to bridge me to the the whatever prospect arms you have. By then, it's one or two maybe of those guys, and then maybe you are a guy in the rotation away, a guy in the lineup away, and then go make that kind of move. Agreed. Ohio State skinny moved up to sixth in the newly released college football playoff rankings after hammering Michigan 62-39, which, by the way, what do you want, Heineken's? I do. I owe you a case I, for that I, one. I that appreciate was an absolute on the, on the blowout. I, 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 there was a friend of mine who's a, who's a trainer at Beachwood where I coach basketball, and he's a huge Michigan fan. And I had to get the dig in as I walked by him. I said, hey, you know what Urban Meyer is to Jim Harbaugh? And he goes, don't do it. I said, he is his daddy. He owns him, man. He owns him. Alabama, Notre Dame, and Clemson are almost locks, I think, in, in the playoff yes. at this point. I can't see any of those three falling out. No, and I'll tell you why here in a second. Do you like Ohio State's chances to be the fourth team selected over Georgia and Oklahoma? I don't. Um, they're going to beat Northwestern, right? Um, yeah. And it may take style points to do that. And that's not going to be easy because Northwestern is gritty. They'll find a way to ugly the game up. Um, uh, but they're not they're not good enough to beat Ohio State. And if they do, well, then it doesn't matter. You've, you've yeah, it's you, shots point. done anyway. So we have to assume an Ohio State victory to have any chance whatsoever. So let's assume the Ohio State victory. Um, Oklahoma could lose to Texas because Oklahoma did lose to Texas, right? If they both, all right, let's go with the scenario. Ohio State wins, Oklahoma wins, and Georgia loses. We'll, go, we'll, we'll do a couple scenarios. That's scenario one, okay? Because okay? that opens up a spot in all likelihood. Unless you could also make a case if Georgia somehow fights tooth and nail with Alabama, loses on a field goal, that maybe the committee goes, they're still better than these other two. That's the hard thing. I mean, I know. what if that game is a 36 33 game? Correct. And it or, could be. Or they lose in overtime. Right. Do you do you penalize Georgia for I, that? I I think you you do and you don't. I think you do only because it becomes loss number two, and chances would be that they would end up mat rematching in the semi. I, I just don't know if that's if that's a good thing. They've never put a two loss team in. Yes, and that's why I, I think you have enough one loss teams to say, listen, you had your fighting chance. That that Alabama game was a pseudo playoff game for you anyway. We're not putting you back and giving you a second chance at Alabama this time around. 
Now, you may get that second chance again if for Alabama if they beat them. But anyway, so let's assume Georgia loses and Oklahoma State and Ohio State, or Oklahoma and Ohio State win. Oklahoma is trash defensively. They're embarrassing defensively. Ohio State isn't much better, but at least Ohio State is capable of getting stops. The one thing you can't get out of your mind when you look at one loss Oklahoma and one loss Ohio State isn't the fact that Oklahoma lost on a last-second field goal. Okay, that, that, that part also says that they're pretty good because that's their only loss. It's the fact the way you lost to Purdue, man. It's hard to get out of my mind. It's hard to get out of my mind that that that, that not only did you lose to a six and six team, you got housed by a six and six team. It's hard for me to get that out of my mind. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's absolutely right. I mean the one loss when it comes down to Texas or I mean Oklahoma versus Ohio State, that one loss Texas as compared to Purdue is a big difference. The problem I think comes in is it's very hard to judge how good the Big 12, any of the Big 12 is this year yes. because they're playing a completely different sport from the rest of the country yes. with zero defense. Zero. So if you're asking me, do I think Oklahoma is as good as Ohio State? No, I don't think that's no, the if, case. No, if you put them on a neutral field, I, I would tell you I think Ohio State wins 9 out of 10. I really believe that. And especially not after seeing Ohio State play the way they did against Michigan. Right. Now you can... I do think there's a whole lot of that where it's urban versus hardball and these teams no doubt. versus each other no and doubt. on that field. But they're still, they housed them. I mean, they dominated that game in a way that I didn't know they were capable of playing. I knew it when the season started they were that good. Yeah. I didn't know as the season gone on, we'd seen so many different things. It felt like a lot of drama. Maybe the, the locker room was starting to fracture a little bit. I didn't know they were still that team that was capable of that type of performance. They clearly are. Mm-hmm. If they go out and they beat Northwestern like they did Wisconsin a few years ago when they got in with a loss, and they needed to, they 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 were in fifth at that time I think too in the, in the college football projections or sixth whatever it was, and they had to hurdle a team or two. They did it by winning fifty to nothing or whatever it here's was. Do you think they can do that again? Here's the interesting part too: the Big Twelve championship game is at noon. You're going to know what Oklahoma did and how they did it. The SEC championship game is at four. You're going to know what Georgia did and how they did it. You play the last game of the day. You've got a chance to get style points, whether that's good or not, whether the committee is going to buy into that or not. But you have a last you have a last swing at this from a style point perspective. And the problem is we've already seen the committee factor in style right. points a few years ago for this right. exact team right. in the Big Ten. So I think Ohio State has a pretty good chance because coming off that win with the confidence, with sort of the momentum they have, I think there's a chance they really hammer Northwestern knowing that they need to do that if they even want a chance to get in. I don't know. I, th- I, I, guess the, I guess the scenarios are basically if, if Oklahoma and Georgia both win, then Ohio State's probably done no matter no what. No question. Yeah, because you can't look, put them over Georgia. One loss Alabama's in. Alabama is in. No matter what. Clemson, unless somehow Pitt beats them which badly, which is happen. not going to happen. Uh, okay. But if, if Pitt embarrassed them and it's a one loss Clemson off of an embarrassing loss to Pitt, okay, maybe. Well, I mean, even if Pitt doesn't embarrass them, really, like, is there. I'm not. I don't feel any worse about the loss to Purdue than I would have lost to Pitt. That's probably fair. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, that, that, those that, losses yeah, are pretty that, equal that, that's to probably me fair. at that point. But it's always the fresher in the mind loss, right? And I do think Clemson is a much better team than oh, Ohio no State. Doubt. Like I and would I rather think, have. Clemson I think it's a moot point. They're going to beat. They're going to beat Pitt by four touchdowns. I, I but, agree. Okay. The one team that I could make a case that I, for just from the eyeball test is Notre Dame. I mean, if I put Notre Dame right now up against. Oklahoma, I would favor Oklahoma by a touchdown. That's just me. Maybe Vegas wouldn't. If I put Notre Dame up against Ohio State right now, I would favor Ohio State by at least a touchdown. If I put Notre Dame up against Georgia, I think I'd favor Georgia by double digits. If I put them up against Alabama, Alabama by three touchdowns. I mean, look, Notre Dame, to their credit, they did exactly. They, they, and they, when they put their schedule together, you, you can't assume Florida State's going to suck again or suck suddenly. They've always been great, and they play those ACC schools. Their, their schedule is, is really good. I mean, I'll give Notre Dame this. They don't dodge people on the schedule. They, they don't. So for them to run the table, and granted, you know, USC stunk this year. All those things. That's not your fault. You, you, you beat all the teams. So it's I, not, but I it think does they factor are, into I think this. They are, I think they, are, they earned it based on going 12-0 and against a pretty, a pretty competent schedule. Um, but the eyeball test tells me that if I was to select teams right now, they would be about 7th or 8th in my pecking order. Yeah, I don't know if they'd be that low for me, but I do feel like every year there's one team who gets into this that was clearly inferior yeah. and then gets gets beat pretty bad yes. in that first game. It feels like Notre them. Dame absolutely feels like that team regardless of how the matchup because, fall. Because here's what could happen. I mean, Notre Dame could still wind up fourth when all is said and done. I mean, depending on how impressive Oklahoma would be or, again, if Georgia wins. See, if here's the thing. If Georgia wins, I think there's the possibility that it winds up, and this is the goofy part, it winds up Clemson going to number one, 
Georgia leapfrogging Bama to two, Bama sitting at three, Notre Dame four. Yeah, so, I mean, I think either way they're probably going to play Clemson. Because in that scenario, yes. they would play Clemson as the right. four seed. And, or, or and if, if not, they're going to play them as the three. two seed probably. Yeah, They'll two, be three two, three. Yeah. Um, and I don't think they have a prayer against Clemson. I don't either. So I, I don't either. I, I, I do think Notre Dame is absolutely the one team who is a lock for this. There's no way they're not going to yep. be in the playoff um, because you, they're 12-0 and and they don't have to play a, a championship game. So there's no way they're going to fall out. But they are also the team, I agree with you, that I think would probably be an underdog by a touchdown to almost anyone in. All right, let's take one more step to this, too. The, the chance of an expanded playoff. Let's, let's just say for Georgia wins and it, it becomes Georgia-Alabama, um, Notre Dame, and Clemson. You are going to wind up out of the Power Five conferences, two conferences represented, because Notre Dame's not one. Right. So three conferences now out of the Power Five would not be represented in this playoff. You have to think that they start clamoring to say, listen, if we're going to do this, this is not a hard expansion, man. Five Power Five champions, three wild cards. Yeah, the ninth place team is going to be mad, but at that stage, you're at least representing all five conferences. The money gets spread out better, all of those things. Three wild cards allows you for a Central Florida to get in, um, somebody along those lines. A two-loss, a really good two-loss. Let's just say Georgia loses to Bama, right, in a close game. A really good two-loss Georgia to take a swing at this. I, I, I just don't know what the complication behind that is. I don't think it's complicated whatsoever. I don't. I don't either. Maybe you're adding another week onto the season. One more I week, don't think that bothers anybody. One more anybody. week for, for, for a handful of schools. And they're going to make millions of dollars yes. off of it. Like, it's not going to hurt the financials yes. at all. 16 teams is too many. It, it just is. Yes. It's too many. Eight, again, and because the formula is get your five conference champions. How do you want to determine it? You can determine it that even after the championship game, that the conference determines who the real league champ. I don't know. Or, or maybe that is just the first playoff game. Maybe if Northwestern is to beat in Ohio, or Ohio State, you get in. Good for you. You, you. you did what you're supposed to do. I tell you what, I like the idea because there would be some real pettiness here. Getting all the coaches or athletic directors or however you oh, want to do it, do, do a little committee action oh, for each conference yeah. at the end of the year where you get to vote on who's yeah. who's our at-large Correct. Oh, boy. before the championship game even happens. Oh. So where if the, that team loses, they're already your at-large bids, There's, and now you get two teams there in. There are still bitter feelings from, I think it's was it 1974 when Ohio State went to the Rose Bowl when they put it up to a, or when they put it up to a vote. Ohio State and Michigan had tied, and they decided to send Ohio State because of uh, – and they still are trying to figure out who voted for who. Um, actually, I think Spectrum Sports did a great uh, great documentary on it. It's really, really good. They got a bunch of those players from both teams together for kind of a dinner setting. It's, it was really pretty cool. Uh, no, I, I, I'm okay with it. If you want to determine the championship game and, and, and a Northwestern occasionally wins their conference championship and gets in, all right, that's, that's fine. I mean, they did what they were supposed to do, won the conference championship. But I, I don't think this is very complicated. I really don't think it's hard at all. I, I, I don't ha- I'm not connected to a college football team, so like I don't get into all that as much. I just got tingles thinking about all the drama between college football fans and how much they would hate oh, that their selection no question. every year. No that would question. be great drama for a guy no who question. doesn't have any stake in it. Exactly. Uh, unranked Louisville took down number 9 Michigan State in overtime on Tuesday night, 82-78. This is going to sound odd. Was that Chris Mack's biggest win as a head coach? Here's the thing. I don't think that's a crazy thing to bring up. I don't think it is, and I think it's. I think the one game I'm going to tell you is is very clear cut. The number one, but when you start thinking about it, this is a top ten win. Which how many of those does Chris Mack have? Period. Mm-hmm. At a new school that is coming off it crazy allegations and scandal and everything else. There were some people, myself included, that wondered if this was going to be a 500 Louisville basketball team. It's not a very good roster, right? Um, they've already taken a couple of talks. I mean, for him to go in and beat one of the legends of the game, a top 10 team, early this early in the year, this early into his tenure, when this fan, that Louisville fan base, and I'm not trying to act like these people are tortured or anything, because their their athletics department has certainly earned this no for doubt. them. No doubt. But that fan base clearly needed something to get behind, clearly needed something to rally behind after what they've gone through between the Patino stuff last year and now the, the, fo- the football, football team. Disaster. I, they needed this. That is a very, very big win, and I think in terms of regular season's wins, there's only one that would even compare, and it's when they beat Villanova when they were number right. one at right. Xavier right. Um, in 2016, yeah. I believe, the year they lost to Wisconsin in the tournament on the buzzer beater. But... It's actually a tournament game uh, that I think is the the biggest win of his career, and it was when he beat Sean Miller that next season That's in the call. Sweet 16 yeah. to get the Elite Eight. That's because one, that was a really good Arizona team too, man. It was a good Arizona team that was better than the Xavier team yes. he played. Two, 
Chris Mack had never been to the Elite Eight, and had he not gotten to that Elite Eight, it keeps him from being in that conversation of best coach ever yeah. at Xavier yes. because there's been two coaches that gotten there. You clearly had to break that door down. That was the game he did it. And not only did he, he didn't have to sneak into it. It wasn't a back door into the Sweet 16. He had to beat yes. the guy who was yes. his predecessor at Xavier, a guy who most people believe is a good coach, who had a very good team, and he kicked his ass schematically in that game. It was an X and O clinic. He clearly won that head-to-head coaching battle. Where Sean sweated through, what, three shirts in the game? <laughs> I don't think that was the same game, but uh, it might have been the same tournament. Might though, have been now the same that tournament. You bring okay. it up. All right. Um, yeah, to me, that's the clear-cut one, but this might be number two. Well, here's what it does for him at Louisville, right? This gives him cachet to now say, listen, this is a pretty good hire, A. I'm not for him to say, but for them to say, pretty good hire, A. B, he's got a good recruiting class coming in, and this just this just validates the moving forward and moving past all the crap that you did. This was a good – look, there's going to be some bumps. They're going to they're, they're gonna, – there's a chance that I, where they play Duke, I don't even know off the top of my head, and when they play Duke in the ACC that they get boat raced by 30 like some people have, right? But for this right now, you just built up some cachet, okay? You, you, you lost to a really good Tennessee team, all right? That's not – Tennessee's good, man. They're yeah. really good, but you lost. And, and so – The fam- loss to Marquette, too. People yes, didn't like that. Yes, correct. That, that one especially. So now you do this, it, it makes you go, huh, this guy can coach a little bit. And, yeah, he is saddled with a roster that really isn't his roster, and it's not a great roster, so you got to give him a little bit of that. And the Cavalry's coming. So he's showing me he can coach. He's showing me he can beat top 10 teams at home or just beat top 10 teams in general. And he's got, he's got reinforcements coming. I'm buying in if I'm a Louisville fan. Yeah, it's it's exactly right. It gives you the the wiggle room, right? It gives you yes. the benefit of the doubt with the fan base. Now they're not going to be on your case, and you can say you don't care about that. You don't read stuff. You don't care what the fan base is saying. They care. No it matters. Question. It makes your job so much less stressful when people are on your side yes. versus every time you enter an arena, anytime you go anywhere, everyone's against you. That helps, especially a fan base like Louisville, which is crazy. I mean, it, it is nuts. People people talk about UK. Louisville's fan base sure. is damn near as crazy when you're in it, when you're like actually in the state of Kentucky. Well, and, and, and because they're a lot, they're 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 so overshadowed in the state by Kentucky just in general, and they shouldn't. They, they, I get it. Kentucky is a statewide school. Louisville's a city school, but and I think that that gets that inferiority complex, right? That oh man, why, why is everybody? Well, that's just the way it is. I think it drives them a little batty. I think it does too. I, I would agree with that. Skinny, let's move on to our college football picks. Northwestern at Ohio State is at 8 p.m. As you already mentioned, the Buckeyes are favored by 14.5. Total is 61 in that game. What you got? Going to Ohio State, 45-17. I think, they, I think I'm with you on this. I think they I, – I like – look, Pat Fitzgerald would be in the discussion of, of National Coach of the Year along with Luke Fickle um, in my mind. But uh, Ohio State, I think, showed themselves something too in that Michigan game. So I'm going to go Buckeyes cover comfortably, and they barely cover the over – but they cover the over as well. I think the Buckeyes win, cover comfortably, and I think they score 40 at least by themselves. I think the over yeah. hits, so yep. I, I would go with that as well. Texas at Oklahoma. That game is at noon. Tech, or Oklahoma is favored by eight. The total in that game is 79. Again, Oklahoma lost to Texas earlier in the year. Play of the week for me has got to be Texas because of this. A, they beat them, so they know they can beat them. B, their offense is pretty good. And C, Oklahoma's defense sucks. Oklahoma can win this game, and they, 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 that, that, that part wouldn't be shocking. But you're going to be a little over a touchdown against a defense that can't stop anybody. I mean anybody. And you're playing a pretty competent Texas team that, look, if you, Tom Herman has a chance to help his old buddy Urban Meyer here too a little bit, right? And and maybe there's a little bit of that. And he's a pretty good football coach. I'm 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 taking Texas and anything with Oklahoma, man. You are stupid if you take anything other than the over. Either don't touch it at all or take the over. And granted, it is 79. Dude, and the over under in the West Virginia game closed at 86. I've never seen that. That seems outrageous, but. I mean, it could hit easily. Like, it would not shock me if this hits easily. In fact, I think Dude, it will it, hit. It could be 35 all at the half, right? You could almost be there at the half. I, th- this feel, you're right about uh, about this being a, a value play with Texas because this feels like one of those games that could go into three or four overtimes yeah. again, too, by the way. Yes, with, correct. With no yeah. defense ever getting correct. a stop the entire correct. second half. 103-100. Steph Curry yeah. hits a three at the buzzer. Alabama at Georgia, 4 p.m. 13.5 point favorites are the Tide. 64 is the total. I like Georgia. I think they're trying to sucker you in with the less than two touchdown line there. I think they're trying to rope you in. Man, Georgia, I, I, seeing them against Kentucky, and it's not just because of what they did to Kentucky. They, they've kind of got a little swagger back. Their offensive line's really good. They got, a, they got a running back back. Jake Fromm has played really well at quarterback after he stopped looking over his shoulder, wondering if the Fields kid was going to take over for him. Um, 
I think Georgia hangs around. I, I, I do find it hard to see them beating Alabama, and, and Alabama's beating everybody by 20-plus points. So you look at, that's why I'm saying, look at that number. It's almost like Vegas is saying, huh, we're going to dangle less than two touchdowns. I know you're going to take Alabama, aren't you? I'll take Georgia. I'll go Bama. I'll go Bama 31-27. So I think it barely stays under. No, I've got Alabama, and I think they cover. I'm, uh, but but I think it's just probably barely. I'm I'm going to say more in like that 35-21 range. In. Yeah, well, last time they wrote me and I won by about six touchdowns That's when you point. told me I was wrong. That's so, a good point. Uh, That's a good call. Yeah, and and uh, I, I like the uh, the over at 34-35-21-ish. I'm I'm a, I'm a shy on that over. I think I'd stay stay away from the yeah, over. I, I just go, don't I think, think I would, I would bet it either way. Clemson at Pittsburgh. That game is at 8 p.m. Clemson is favored by 27 and a half. The total is 53. I mean, we definitely think Clemson is going to win. Can they cover that 27 and a half, Skinny? 51 to 10. That's what it feels like to me. 51 I, to 10. I like it. I'm in. So that's 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 the over and, and the cover. cover. Yep. I like it. And then finally, Skinny, why do we even still do this? Broncos are at the Bengals. That game's at 1 p.m. The Bengals are getting 5. 44 is the total. I think the Broncos name the score. I don't think they name the score. I, I, I don't. I will say this. Oh, why? Because the Bengals are going to have pride now. <laughs> this week is when they're going to decide to put their foot down and make a stand. Do, do you know in the last two home games? Well, they're fighting for Marvin's job now. So yes, I they are. Care. Yeah. yeah, and I'm sure they're going to fight really hard for it. The last two home games for the Bengals, the opponent put up 63 points combined and didn't punt once and scored touchdowns on nine of ten possessions. The only touchdown that wasn't scored on, on a possession came when the Browns ran out the clock to end the first half this past Sunday. So 63 points the last two home games you gave up. That said, Denver Denver's defense is abysmal. That's with new defensive coordinator Marvin Lewis. That's in correct. Charge, by That's the way. correct. The look, I think talent wise, I think Cleveland is better than Denver. New Orleans obviously is just they're killing anybody in their path right now. It doesn't matter if it's the Bengals or the Eagles or the Falcons or just put somebody in front of them. They're going to go score six touchdowns. And he's going to throw to a vendor for a touchdown. And 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 Susie was the cheerleader. He's, he throws to different guys for Susie's touchdowns. Susie's had a nice. Season. Susie's really good. She had good hands. No question about that. Everybody says that. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go Broncos twenty four Bengals nineteen. I'm gonna go with a push. That just feels feels like a push. <laughs> no, this will this will be it. You're right. The Bengals will come out galvanized, fighting for Marvin. It'll be a 21-21 tie. That would be perfect. That would be fantastic. That would, that would be perfect. That'd be three straight years with a tie, I believe. Yeah, that, that would be great. I'm gonna call that. I think the Bengals cover with a tie. Oh, they didn't tie last. Year. It'd be three out of the last four years with a tie. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah, tie right. and the under is what I'm going for here. All right, I'm good with that. Skinny, the new net rankings were released by the NCAA on Monday. Ohio State was number two. Oh, no the, question. No, Ohio State is now number, number two. They were number yeah, one. These things are fluctuating. Yes. I've got the current up-to-date rankings yes. as of Wednesday morning when we're recording this. Where is Loyola Marymount? I didn't check on Loyola. They, they were number two, right? They're, no, they were 10th, but now tenth. they're 13th. Oh, man. Of course they are. Dropped down a little bit after the Nevada loss. UC is 43rd, UK is 58th, Xavier is 88th. They were at 101 when it first came out. Louisville is 114th, NKU 131, sneaking up on the cards. Watch yourself. Is it too early to start questioning the NCAA's new metric system that is supposed to replace the RPI as the main stat used on the selection committee's team sheets this year? So for what, if you don't understand what that means, basically like when you see at the end of the year, this team had, uh, they were 4-1 and one again, Tier 1 games. They right. had four Tier 1 wins. Last year they went to that tier system. They're going to do the same thing this year, but instead of using the RPI to determine that Tier 1, Tier 2 they're stuff, using net. they're using the net. So is this a disaster like everyone seems to think, or is it too early? It's too early. Uh, look, I think there are other metrics. I, I mean, Ken Palm metrics to me always seem to, if you really deep dive into that, I know you do. I know our buddy Chad Brendel does. Man, if you start looking at that when you get to tournament time, it nails a bunch of stuff. It shows you metrics. I think I did a column on this. It shows you the metrics you need to have to win a national championship. And and only a certain, you if you look, there's only certain teams that fill that criteria, and you're like, and it may not be, you know, maybe teams that fit that metric that fall by the wayside, but eventually a team that fits those metrics wins the national championship. But that's always at the end of the year, too, where you've got a lot more sample size. But his is his fluctuates, too. I, I, I do like his better, to be honest with you. I think you question it if it's this wacky on January 15th. If it's this out of whack, then then you go, whoa, wait a minute. Now, th- th- there's no way this team should be here. Early in the year... It's just so much to sort out. There's so many, so many buy games. Even for crap, even crap teams play buy games, right? I mean, there's just so much of that going on. I think it's just hard. Yeah, and here's the problem. I don't know enough about math to, to make this I don't definitive, right? Like, there's some math nerds on my message board that'll probably tell me why I'm wrong about how statistics work after I say this. But to me, 
Ken Palm uses a lot. They they weight heavy last year's, like preseason stuff coming that, in yeah. the last year. So that's how his metrics aren't as screwed up early, right. I know, to a certain extent. But there are also other metrics. I mean, even RPI, Sagarin, some of the stuff we've used before, where they're never this out of whack. They're never this silly looking. And any metric... Texas th- Tech is number one now, I believe, by the any way. Any metric at any point that thinks Texas Tech is number one, for instance... Or right, Loyola right Marymount is number, number is in the top ten right um, now. Samford is twenty sixth, I believe, and Georgia Southern's thirty second. After six games, how? What? In like, if I set a line today, and I'm just going to use Kentucky as an example, if I set a line between Georgia Southern and Kentucky on a neutral floor, what would it be? Forty three. Okay, it may not be that much, but okay, okay, thirty, whatever. Yeah, okay. All right, continue. And UK is fifty eighth. That's correct. Which yeah. would be forty spots behind them, or That's, so. That's uh, thirty, but yeah, okay, okay. yeah. I mean. Like any metric that that is how you start out six games in six games is too many for me to have that have it be that out of whack. Like I know it's early. I know the metrics are fluctuating and I know we don't have the full formula to understand how they're doing this. But that would concern me that one, we're not seeing the full formula. Yeah, can we and get two, to, it's that, this that, silly. It comes back to it. I liked last year when they went to the tier one, tier two, tier three wins. Right. Because then you could look and go, all right. Those wins, and, and there's a bigger, you know, there's a bigger gap to, to to put those in to say, all right, this is a quality win, this is a a good win, this is a eh win, this is a ugh win, right? And this is a bad loss, this is a good loss, this is a great loss, all those things. Um, so there was some transparency there with that. Give me some transparency with this, so I can at least figure out that all right. Once we get cycling through here, it's going to settle itself. But you don't, you don't know that today. You don't because you don't know how it works. Right. Well, and they've always done the before it was the tier one. It used to be you had you were three and two against one through twenty five, right? Right. One and two against twenty five through fifty or whatever. Basically, what they did last year with the tier stuff is they started to sign. You know what? Games on the road or on neutral sites are, are harder, worth more. Yes, like so harder. You can play a top seventy-five team on the road. It's the same as winning against a top twenty-five team right. at home, and that's fair. I like and that. that was I a like good decision. That. I think that's great. Yeah, and, and so I mean, this but is, you had the transparency of that. You are right. You that knew that. Anytime you have more transparency, it's a good thing. But in pretty much all all walks of life, but specifically when you're trying to pick a tournament like this. I don't understand why they're not being more transparent, and mostly I think we're going to be disappointed with the NCAA once again deciding to do their own metric. Just take Ken Palm. It is clearly the best metric. Just watch it every game. Watch what it predicts as the score. See how close it is all year long, and then continue to tell me that it's not the exact metric that should be used, or at least factored in. And then again, the selection committee is allowed to use whatever metrics they want. So they have Ken Palm. Their tournament, they right? Have, it's, their, it's their tournament, right? Yeah, well, and, and I'm saying, like, the, even in that room, it's not like they're committed to this. Yes. They don't only have the team That's sheets. Correct. Like, they have all these other numbers. The thing is, though, at the end of the day, we need those nice graphics to throw up on TV to compare resumes, yes. right? And this is how we decide. This is what we do. We're using the net now. We used to use the RPI as that main sorting metric. Why not just use Ken Palm for that? I'm with you. It I, 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 seems I like an easy fix. Like I said, I think everybody's over their skis because it's so early in the process. I'm going to give it till January something when we get through a couple of weeks of conference play. But I, 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 I'm with you. I mean, this is you talk about out of whack, man. All I'm going to if go to NCA.com, folks. Look at it for yourself. And when you start scrolling down names, you're like, wait a minute, what them that? And wait a minute, this team's there. Oh, come on now, that can't be right. I mean, that that's just that's just it. There's no way that you're going to tell me that Georgia Southern or Wofford or whoever else, although Wofford beat Wake Forest, um, is, is better than Kentucky or UC or Xavier. Yeah. You just can't convince me of that. I'm with you. Well, Phil Mickelson beat Tiger Woods after a four-hole playoff to win their pay-per-view match over the holiday weekend. Bleacher Report ended up having to stream the event for free due to server issues, a decision that ended up costing Turner Sports, which is hoping to get $19.99, a bunch of money. The live stream had 750,000 unique views. Do you think the event lived up to the hype? I don't. I don't either. I do think they they got a ton of people watching it. I saw a ton of people talking about it on Twitter. So I do think so free. I do think they got the attention they wanted. A lot of that was because it ended up being for free yep. online because they couldn't get the uh, pay per view to work with uh, due to amount the amount of traffic they had. I mean that was the issue is so many people wanted to watch it they couldn't figure out how to make the paywall work anymore. That's a good problem to have. It's a great problem if you're trying to pitch this to sponsors. So I do think they can do more things like this in the future because the sponsors probably looked at that and felt like they got decent value. The problem is those two guys were absolute zeros in terms of personalities, man. They gave you absolutely nothing on the course. They tried to be talkative the first few holes. Kids Kids are good. How are your kids? Kids are good. Yeah, then they got a little bit competitive after that. You would have been a great question for Phil to ask. Talk to Ellen anymore? (laughs) 
I mean, how good would that have been? Yeah. And then he comes back with, your wife still gamble? I mean, how, how good would that be? You know what Phil's got to do? Phil's got to do on that 18th green when it's when they're coming down to the nitty-gritty and it's about to be a four-hole playoff. He needs to have that 18th green just lined with Waffle House waitresses. Oh, wow. Just lined with oh. them in their in their uh, apron. And, and then they're yelling his Tiger's button, Newton, Newton, Newton. That would be great. I think that would be t- – see, that's what that event needs. Yeah, get, get them all in uh, like T-shirts that spell out Tigers and Nudes or something <laughs> like that. Like, that would have been good, but this was so dry. It was so hard to watch. I fell asleep twice. I didn't even watch when it. I, came I didn't to- watch it. I didn't watch one hole. I, I followed what? it. Followed along on a, on a, somebody who live blogged it, and I followed the first hole to see if he, if he birdied it for the $200,000. And after that, I went, I don't know. And then, uh, this, is, this is no lie. The next day, somebody asked me who won that event. I went, oh, I don't know. And my daughter from the other room, I said, I yelled at her. I said, do you know what? She goes, yeah, uh, and we're a golf geek family, man. Big time. She said, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, uh, Phil, I think, I think it went some extra holes. That'll tell you that. I didn't, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, so I was watching college basketball. My brother had paid for the pay-per-view. He's watching. He's a big golf guy. I come down, start to try to watch some of it. I think it was around the 15th or 16th. Fall asleep. <clears throat> Takes a while. We get to the 18th. Well, now they tie. Does back off again. And then we're when the second playoff hole now, it's only been like a 20-minute nap, I wake up, I go, I just can't do this anymore. They're still just walking around. And the problem is they don't even have them on carts. They're walking to each shot. It's taking like 15 minutes in between every single yes. shot, and they're not saying anything. And then the, the few times that they do actually speak to one another, you get a little interaction, you've got some idiot broadcaster talking right over top of them. I'm like, you have all this silence to fill, and you're going to talk during the five seconds that they're interacting, we get a... Hey, that was a nice shot between them. And this idiot's talking right over them. You, you know what you just described about the dozing off? You described like a Sunday of the Greater Greensboro Open where you went out and did some yard work, came in, took a shower, popped a beer. It's a lazy Sunday afternoon. And, and you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to watch the end of the Greater Greensboro Open. And you watch from about hole 12 and by hole 15, you're gone. You wake up and you try to keep an eyeball open because they're on the 18th. Um, it's the Greater Greensboro Open, man. Yeah, I, I went back upstairs to watch more college basketball by that point because I just kept falling asleep anyway, and I missed the last three playoff holes. And I finally came down. And I said, "Oh, it's over. What happened?" And he goes, "Ah, oh, Phil won. It's pretty anticlimactic." Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's going to work going forward. Yeah. Skinny linebacker Reuben Foster was released by the 49ers after his third domestic abuse arrest in the last year. He has since been picked up off waivers by the professional football team in Washington. What does this say about the NFL? The talent usurps all, man. It always does. It always has. It always will. Talent usurps all. And I'm fine with that to a certain extent. Like, I I understand that we want to talk about the morality of it all. And in this case, I think that's warranted. And maybe there should be done something about that. But before you even get to that. He's he's had this woman claim this before. I'm not telling you that, that it didn't happen. And if he's found guilty, he shouldn't be thrown away, for goodness sakes. This woman's claimed this stuff before. And it's gone away. I don't know that that speaks anything positive for Reuben Foster. In fact, that may be the exact problem of maybe, domestic maybe, abuse and a guy getting accused of this maybe, three times maybe, and being an NFL Maybe, player. or maybe she's a nut job. I mean, I'm not. Look, if he if he did this, I would not defend him in the least. I would kick him to the curb. You cannot be employed ever again. But here's my thing: before you even get to that, okay. Before you even have to go to the morality stuff and oh, they're terrible. How could you do this? Whatever. At some point. If a guy's been arrested three times in the last year, even if he has a crazy wife or whatever it is, or an ex-girlfriend or something, even if it's not his fault, at some point, don't you just start to think something's not right here? Like, this guy is a problem, or this guy is not going to be good for us. It's like... Talent usurps all. I understand that, but talent only helps you if you're productive. And can this guy really be like a guy you can rely on if he you're worried about him getting arrested three Dude, times in a season? It's a league of second and third chances. If they think you can help them win, and look, there's some Father Flanagan in these teams and coaches, right? That I'll fix the guy. I can I'll be the guy that fixes this guy. We'll make sure that this doesn't. We'll put the security system around him. We'll put the safety net around him. We'll we they they, they all think that. And they because they see the talent and they think, all right. Yeah, this is bad, but I'm going to make this work because I can do this. I'm the guy that can fix this. Well, no, you probably can't, but that's what that that's the I'm just I'm not telling you this, I'm just telling you the way they think. That's why they do it. With Joe Mixon, I understand. He did he did it. It was horrific. It was a one-time I, I thing. Totally it under- was awful. Yes. I totally understand people not wanting him. I totally understand the morality thing, but I also understand the Bengal side of it is 
He can help us win football games. He's extremely talented. We're going to get him at a value. We're going to get him at a discount. And it was one time. It was one decision. And we think he's a better guy than that. Right. We think he made a mistake. Yeah, Reuben Foster, for all accounts, is not a good guy. I'll give you that part. He's he's known to not be a good guy from what what we can tell. And three arrests in one year. Like, not... But, but arrest and conviction are different things. It doesn't matter to me at a certain point. It does not matter to me. Three arrests in a year. Like, if nothing else, I just don't want to have to talk about it nonstop. Right. On so, teams. So, These teams are so, worried about Colin Kaepernick so hear me being out. a distraction. Right, but uh, the guy getting arrested three times is not a distraction? Get out of here with that. All right, but hear me out, okay? The 49ers decided, that, look, they ran, the, they ran the table on it, right? So they, they, you were on our watch. We've had enough. But that's what I'm telling you. Another team looks and says... I can fix you. I can. I, I love your talent. I love that you can help us win games, and I'll fix you. I'll be the guy. We'll be the organization that fixes you. We'll we'll give we'll give you any help that you need to to fix this. And that's that's just the way they think. I'm just telling you. Well, at this time there was only one team in the entire NFL that thought they could be that team, and it was it was Washington, and it was a team that doesn't have a great history. Yeah, so we'll see. What how I understand. It works out I think Philly was the only one that asked for the arrest report. Yeah, Washington didn't even want to talk to the cops about right. it. They didn't even care. Right, didn't even care. That's I was still surprised strong. the Bengals didn't put a claim in. I'm I, serious about you that. You know what? I I'm bet, serious about that. I bet if we go on Local 12's Facebook page today after they post that story, there will be a lot of fans commenting that exact same thing. I think there will be, be some that will say they should have taken because they uh, need help in linebacker. Yeah, you might not be wrong I'm about serious. that. Serious. Skinny, we're going to go off topic here. Yes, as indeed. I love it. Do. I love it. A passenger on an Indian airline was kicked off the flight after he was caught tying a handkerchief around his face to make a terrorist joke on Snapchat. Yogvedant Potter, old man Potter's Oh, boy, the Potter family, sure. Yeah, you know them. Yeah. Was detained by police after another passenger told the crew he had sent a message including the words terrorist and destroy. The caption of the image he sent on Snapchat said, terrorist on flight, I destroy women's hearts. Oh my heavens, the Betsy. The plane was taxiing along the runway and ready to take off when passengers who had seen the Snapchat message informed air stewards. One of the attendants then passed the warning along to the pilot who contacted air traffic controllers. Skinny, what's the play by you if a 25-year-old man, doesn't matter what descent he is, puts a handkerchief around his face, takes a Snapchat picture, and you see him typing in, terrorist on board. I will tell you this. destroying I destroy women's hearts. I had to fly pretty quickly after 9-11 took place. I was covering Kentucky, and I flew two weekends probably after that, right? And I remember getting on that flight where no, but you just didn't know that you just it was it was it was pretty terrifying. I love to fly. I remember as soon as we took off, as soon as we were airborne, I grabbed my laptop in its bag and I put it on my lap and I just started looking around at everybody. I said, if that guy gets up or that guy gets up or that guy gets up, I'm taking a swim. I'm gonna they're going down with the lap. The laptop is going upside. Break my laptop. I'm gonna. I, I, that's how there was some paranoia at that point in time. But that's what exactly what I would have done with this guy. If I see him doing that, the laptop at that point's coming out, and I'm just clubbing him right across the face. You can get me for assault if I was wrong, but you ain't taking my plane down, bro. You ain't gonna do it. It ain't gonna happen on my watch. I would have. I, you know, I'm glad it didn't happen because we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast right now if it Correct. did. But man, could you imagine if someone would have just stood up to use the restroom and skinny clocks yep. him with a laptop yep. right across the face? Yep, and it I, gets arrested. It, for it's so steer. I, I would I'd look around going, like, that guy, well, and maybe that guy. And maybe her even back there. Yeah, yeah, maybe her too. As we found out with former uh, Cincinnati assistant Larry Davis this year, that's a federal crime if you yes, uh, get yeah, arrested yeah. on an airplane. Yeah, but but what if, what if I was saving it for me? maybe the guy? What if this guy was serious though, and I saved the saved the aircraft, saved the passengers, saved people? He maybe he did have a bomb in his shoe. Yeah, he the, got through, and I saved it. I think they'd be okay with that. I think they if, would if that's too. The case. My thing is, if I saw this guy for one, my first instinct is guy taking selfie doesn't he's not a terrorist he doesn't bomb airplanes i don't know man a lot of these people that do some of this goofy not just a terrorist but some of these goofy people they'll, they'll live stream themselves when they're doing i mean the, the yeah, most ma- recent shooter was doing it well maybe if he was on facebook then i'd be like wait why is this young guy on facebook that's awkward that's out of position but if he's doing a snapchat not a terrorist well, in my well, opinion the, does he not think this is stupid well there's where i have the problem the, the thing where i may have wanted to fight him is the i destroy women's hearts line yeah who is that intended for? I have no idea. Are you putting that up on your story so people can randomly see it? Are you sending that out to individual women? Women, right. Are you sending that out to your buddies? Like, because your buddies would, 
if they're good friends, would ridicule you to no end for saying, I destroy women's hearts. Any girl you send that to doesn't seem like it would even be a, a good way to pick them up. I don't, I don't think they want their heart destroyed. <laughs> it's not a great pickup line. So I assume hey, you're just putting that you know on what? your story. I'll destroy your heart, baby. Hey, which, I like you. Which in that case, I have to imagine the guy who sends this out and puts this on this story is similar to like some of the people who yell at me on Twitter. It, they've got two or three followers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't think anyone's watching this guy's his, Snapchat his, story. His Twitter avatar is the egg. Right? Yeah. Well, he's definitely an egg. He's well, an egg. I don't know, though, because if you're doing this Snapchat, you're probably an oversharer. So you probably have yeah. a really lame picture of yourself Good point. as your profile picture. Like maybe and, his dog. And, and it's Yog- got to be his dog. And Yogvedant. The short for Yogvedan, he's got to be Yogi, right? So he's he's Yogi Pador. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want to hang with Yogi Pador? I think a lot of people, if he's sending out, I I destroy women's hearts as uh with a handkerchief around with a his handkerchief, face. By the way, yes. Just, I mean, there are certain words you don't use on an airplane. Terrorist is number one. Like <laughs> bomb, gun, gun. drugs. Yeah, take my seat in twenty five F. Hey, by the way, I'm going to firebomb this freaking plane. No, you yeah. don't do that. We talked about farting on an airplane last week. Oh, that's and, brutal. And that... That's enough for me. I get worried about that. Like That I should get, be a federal offense. Right. Is you. this toxic gas? Like Yes, exactly. Uh, that you can't escape. Right. I mean, holy cow. I, I think this is a bad play all around, personally. I, do. I don't think this guy has a clue of what he was about to do. And uh, I'm glad that he was punished appropriately. I would agree with that. All right. Rick has always enjoyed it. We'll be back another week from now for another Skinny Podcast, the Potpourri Edition. For Rick Broering, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. This has been the Skinny Podcast presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.